The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. The Lord be with you. Amen. This is also the John 12, uh, verses 1 through 8. It's also the traditional reading for Holy Week. So as we rapidly approach Holy Week, uh, Monday of Holy Week, if you'd like to hear this again with fresh, uh, fresh eyes and ears, um, then read this passage again. The only difference is on Monday of Holy Week, it extends to verse 11. But, uh, but otherwise, traditionally, uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And so we begin with uh, this. So it's literally six days before the Passover. And Jesus has come to Bethany to visit his friends. Lazarus was there, the one whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Martha, uh, his sister, bustling around, making sure everything was just right. And then there is Mary, um, the impulsive and inquisitive sister. Um, In the fragrance of warm bread and the aromas of a family dinner, there's a glimpse um, into the future, to that last supper when Jesus will kneel before his disciples and wash their feet. On that same evening, he will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Tonight, however, Jesus is relaxed uh, for the first time in a long time. He's been busy healing the sick, uh, casting out demons, feeding thousands with few resources. Jesus speaks to the poorest of the poor and teaches always about justice and peace and about the kingdom of God. Jesus engages with a people that no one else will speak to. Jesus lets nothing stop him from touching and speaking to and sharing meals with, well, anyone and everyone. Jesus taught women like Mary new ways to serve, and Mary soaked up his words as if she could never get enough. Impulsive Mary, I imagine her siblings may have called her, and a little used to her ways, may have thought nothing as she runs out of the room and runs back in, returning a short time later. Mary throws herself down at Jesus' feet, and the heady fragrance of perfume fills the room. An instant reminder of that terrible day when Lazarus died. Mary's hair is disheveled, a sign of mourning, and she gently pours the perfume over the feet of Jesus rubbing it gently into each callous feet. I can imagine tears streaming down her face, mingling with the precious oil, and Mary 
leans over and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, unbound hair. I imagine no one in the room had witnessed an act of such extravagance. Not only that, but it's very, it's intimate. Um, And if anyone was there to witness, it would have probably silenced everyone in the room. And it seems as if no one else is there in the room, her and Jesus. And yet, uh, in that moment, Jesus is deeply touched, even though there is another one in the room, Judas. You may even ask, why is Jesus, uh, Judas in the midst of this domestic scene? And I'll be honest, there have been literally hundreds of scholars that have debated and quizzed about this, uh, even though I stopped at five, (laughs) because all of them ended with, we don't know, except this is definitely a resemblance to the Last Supper. Um, And yet, there he is. There is Judas, sullen, frozen, calculating face. And Judas is so angry, so angry that he can't keep it in any longer. And he burst out. What a waste. That is worth 300 denarius. That's a whole year's wages you just dumped on the floor. I could have sold it and given the money to the poor. And Judas has a point. He does have a point. You think about that moment for all the many times that the church gets accused of uh, what they could have done with that money. Could they have bought this? Could they have done this? And yet, this is a very intimate moment of worship. Of worship. As if Jesus is teaching more than just the things you can do and heal and be about. That there are moments and we have to stop and just worship. And let the worship be the worship. Have that moment where you bear your all where you kind of pour yourself out. Because that's, that's what is happening here. She is pouring herself out as she has poured that fragrance upon Jesus. You know what it means to pour yourself out, right? It's moments in which you give care, maybe for children, in which they'll never know all the sacrifices that were in between. Maybe you're pouring yourself out for a charity, in which you're preparing yourself and preparing behind the scenes, in which they'll never know the hours and the time and the little details. Maybe you're pouring yourself out to a friend who's struggling that may never realize all the efforts you went in to help out. Or maybe you're pouring yourself in other ways that people in the front will never know. And it goes right over Judas's head Jesus defends Mary and her extravagant gift to him as vigorously as he sticks up for the poor widow who put her penny in the offering plate. Jesus knows that in her grief, Mary has poured out her heart. Same moments in which we have poured ourselves out again and again and again. Jesus rebukes Judas and simply says, leave her alone, let her keep the rest for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you. You will not always have me. 
Now it might seem, might seem as if Jesus is kind of shedding off and trying to kind of you know, push aside the poor, and yet that's not what's really happening. I think Jesus' words are meant to provoke Judas to remember Deuteronomy 15, which says, to your neighbor, give liberally and be ungrudging, since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth. I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy. Right now, however, Jesus is the poorest of the poor. He's running out of life. He knew that his very own would be in jeopardy as soon as he raised Lazarus. The evening, the authorities are plotting against him. And this evening, someone has given him a precious gift. God revealed in that beautiful moment. There's a movie that, um, that's been used quite often to illustrate this pouring out, and this lavish gift. It's one of my favorites. Uh, the movie is called Babette's Feast. Some have heard it, but it demands to be heard again. Um, and if you've never se- heard it uh, or seen the movie, here's a brief synopsis which happens. It begins with a portrait of two pious and righteous sisters whose father was a pastor of a small congregation. He had long since died, and the sisters carry on holding services every Sunday and prayer meetings during the week with lots of gossip and backbiting in between. And so, so that gives you the picture of what's going on. And one day, Babat Hurst appears at their door, explaining that she is a refugee from counter-revolutionary bloodshed in Paris. The sisters, recalling the scriptures to take and care for the immigrant, take Babette in, and she spends the next 14 years as their servant and cook. It's a thankless and colorless life of quiet service, and her only link to her former life is her lottery ticket that a friend in Paris renews for her every year. One day, she wins the lottery of 10,000 francs, and she tells the sisters that she would like to prepare a meal and gather not just them and family, but the whole church and community to celebrate the congregation's 100th birthday. And here's the meal she prepares. Babette gathers the finest china that she can from all the people. Flatwares, crystal, linens. On the menu, she makes quail stuffed in puff pastry. There's platters of papaya and figs and grapes and pineapple. Dessert is a decadent rum sponge cake with figs and glazed fruit. I know your stomach should be growling for for lunch later, right? (laughs) Not only that, but she then orders some of the rarest wines and the finest champagne and spirits. Clearly, this is not the traditional Protestant fare. And uh, although the sisters in the congregation worry that this is too decadent, They cannot help but respond. Um, And interesting enough, over the sharing of this meal, resentments are set right. You know, resentments that happen in the background, in the foreground, through most of the movie, it's just preparing you for that meal. Um, You know, wrongs are forgiven and and relationships are reconciled and renewed. 
Babette, the outsider, the foreigner, the servant, gave not some but all of the money that she had won to prepare an extraordinary, lavish banquet. After the banquet, the sisters know none of this. And so one of the sisters goes up to her and says, we're so excited for you. Now you'll be able to go back to your homeland and you'll have some money to set yourself up with again. And she tells them it's all gone. She cannot return. And the sisters are aghast. Martine tearfully says, now you will be poor the rest of your life. To which Babette replies, an artist is never poor. Philippa then tells her that your paradise, Babette, will be realizing that God will make you into who you were intended to be during this time. Um, Not realizing that Babette is already exactly who God intended her to be. Babette has given everything that she has to these sisters and this community and begrudges none of it. Today, we live in this strange and awkward moment as Christians. Between the shadow of the cross and the empty tomb, the resurrection, Often it is so easy to get lost in that shadow. Um, The reminders that there are problems in this world and that we have problems as well. A world in right now in which it seems like everything goes but nothing is forgiven. We live in a dog-eat-dog, survival-the-fittest, look-out-for-number-one, pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of world. The mindset of this world is one of scarcity, and there's never enough to go around. There's not enough money, not enough food, not enough time, not enough resources, and you can fill in the blank. Not enough love, not enough grace, and the anxiety just seems to grow higher and higher and higher. A mindset that believes in scarcity rather than a mindset of abundance is a narrow worldview that looks inward to serve itself instead of looking outward. Um, Because even acts of generosity are carried out with a reluctant, pragmatic quality. But really, when we look at the cross, uh, we as Christians should see a sign of God's extravagant and abundant love. Yet there are moments that we too will sometimes cry out, why doesn't the church do this? Why doesn't the church do that? It's the the biggest critique by some of the militant atheists when they look at a church and look at sometimes of how much money they poured into a space. Um, One of the most beautiful cathedrals that I had a chance to to visit years ago is the cathedral in France, in Chartres. Uh, I thought about throwing some pictures on here, but it doesn't do it justice. So imagine this. Imagine architects that spent their whole time, you know, so that the very, even before you set foot into the church, your whole being, as soon as you made your way through those doors, lifted your eyes up. Um, in fact, when we toured it, the tour guide didn't, didn't make any, you know, 
motion of that. It just simply said, walk and enter. Walk and enter. And then after we, we talked about, because every single one of us, as soon as you went through the doors, boom, you went upward. It immediately reminded me, one of my favorite things to do since I've been here as one of your pastors is uh, during Holy Week, that Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday service afterwards when everyone else is cleared out, the remaining staff are helping to decorate the little pieces so the next service comes about, whether that's Good Friday or on into Easter, setting care. And just as we're turning out the, all the lights, I like to stand way back there and you see, even though it's solidly dark, you can still see the glimmer of the stained glass pulling me to spaces of hope and expectation. Um, to know that many of those great cathedrals were also built in times in which people suffered greatly. And it's easy to critique the church and say it should have been giving out to the poor, but they knew they knew that if you did not have any hope, which many of the people at the time could not read, um, you needed some image so that people could gather on their hardest of days and allow their souls to be lifted to something more. That didn't need a, didn't need a lot of preaching, <laughs> didn't just needed a space of silence and immediate prayer. It's the same moments when we gather later for communion. Those moments doesn't need a lot of explanation, just needs a moment of time in which we experience a meal um, that's so much more. Jesus lived life to the fullest, and if we would be generous like that, I think we'd fully realize that we are finally get a chance to be in the body of Christ and a people of faith, and we live in the presence of the risen Christ where there is an open invitation to the table. We experience extravagant acts of compassion and generosity and moments of worship. All this in a world in where violence and cr cruelty crucify people still today. We are rich when we believe that even in the midst of poverty, blessings abound. Even the shadow of death loses its darkness when faced with the strength of God's presence and light. We truly do live in a world of God's abundance, full of grace, to allow our lives to pour out willingly. Our giving is of declaring what is, impo what is impossible <laughs> in the midst of many people telling us it is impossible. It becomes a kind of giving that changes the world. It's beset by poverty of many kinds, it could be emotional, it could be relational, it could be, yeah. Um, into realizing the fullness of God's grace. In this moment, we are invited to a feast to which we may truly worship, to a God who forgives us, to a God who graces us, to a God who travels with us, to a God who is so mysterious, and to even the moments where God will hear our pain and suffering. Um, and bless us every moment along the way. Um, recently, it was St. Patrick's Day, and someone sent me a note which included this lovely Irish saying. And so um, 
I thought of no other way to, to leave us uh, to this close of this sermon. It's this. This Irish saying says, work like you don't need the money. Love like you've never been hurt. Dance like nobody's watching. Sing like nobody's listening. And live like it's heaven on earth. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, in the moments in which we feel your goodness and grace, allow us to just lay at your feet a moment and give worship. And with the moments in which we only feel the shadow of the claws, allow your grace to pour over us, that we may pour out your love to those that are around us, both now and always and evermore. Amen. prepare to take communion together remind you that we will come up the middle and go around the side you will be you put your hands out to receive the bread and again we will be holding we'll be have gloves we'll have gloves receive the bread and then you will take the cup and again you are invited to kneel and pray for as long as you would like a reminder that as the Methodist Church United Methodist Church we have an open table which means all who are invited. Uh, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I invite you to pray silently where you are as we prepare. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. right and good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you father almighty creator of heaven and earth in love you made us for yourself and when we had fallen into sin and became subject to evil and death your love remained steadfast 
you bid your faithful people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Easter feast, that renewed by your word and sacraments and fervent in prayer and works of justice and 